The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United and we are coming to you after Arsenal and Newcastle dropped points, Tottenham lost, the women's team are back on top of the WSL and barring City's win over Villa, it's pretty much a perfect weekend for Manchester United. Just don't mention the title race, promise you we won't because we usually jinx it when we do that. But we will talk about Manchester United's win at Ellen Road. We'll also preview the first leg of the Europa League playoff against Barcelona. And we'll talk about the latest on Manchester United's takeover. And if that's not enough, we also need to welcome back Laurie Whitwell. Hello, Laurie. Hello, stranger. Hi, guys. How have you been? I was listening whilst I was away. Very good podcasts. I don't believe you. I was. I uh, I, I thought, listen... I've... What was your highlight then? What? The, 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 <laughs> the highlight of the podcast or the highlight of my trip away? You said you listened to the podcast. I'm just fact-checking. Okay. So what was the highlight of the podcast yeah. that you were listening to while you were on holiday, your honeymoon? It was obviously when Mr. Andy, never heard of Amaretto Mitten, was at Gatwick Airport and ah, nice. was treated to a <laughs> series of cocktails of various descriptions, which we weren't sure had alcohol in or not. Did we ever establish whether Andy was you know, a little bit inebriated as he boarded his flight? Well, he wasn't slurring by the end of it, so I'm pretty confident that they didn't have any alcohol in them. But Andy, welcome. Uh, good to have you on as well, of course. A welcome back to you. You've not been anywhere quite as exciting as Laurie, but still. Um, do you want to defend yourself? Because it did seem that Laurie did listen to the podcast after all. He did. There was no alcohol. I think I was offered him because they'd been used in a, a photographic shoot. But I will meet Mr Whitwell this week. A photographic shoot? Yeah, to show... Basically, where not a photo shoot, no. Well, it might have been, but to try to appeal to people like Laurie to go in their lounge at Gatwick Airport rather than people like me. So I was happy to be a stooge. But I'll meet him this week in Barcelona and we'll see what's what when it comes down to drinking. That sounds ominous, Laurie. I'm I'm obviously well prepared because Sri Lanka does have a variety of cocktails. It even had an ingredient that I'd never uh, decided could ever be in a drink before. Activated charcoal, Andy, was was a particular ingredient of one uh, lovely liquid that I imbibed. Um, there was uh, there was a, a mug shaped like an elephant, which I'm just showing you there, with a, a lovely picture of a mountain in the background. Nice. We we had uh, various other ones that peanut was in was in one of them, one of the cocktails. So yeah, I feel like I'm I'm well adept uh, abreast of uh, ingredients to um to, to you, you can show me around barcelona can't you andy we'll, we'll get on to it but you've you've done a little guide it sounds like a bit of a challenge andy actually to find a cocktail bar in barcelona that has an ingredient more random than activated charcoal i'll do it i reckon you're the man for the job uh, yeah i will do um I'm just giggling to myself thinking of how I'm going to set Laurie up by giving him black words to say when he goes to the bar. <laughs> so years ago when Manchester United played in La Coruña against Deportivo, I sent one of my mates to the bar and he just said to the bar lady, I like rabbits, but he thought he was ordering a pint. And she just looked at him and went, and? <laughs> so Laurie's not going to have a clue. Just get a few drinks down him. Look at me talking like the big man here. The reality is I've got two children to look after. 
and they'll both be in Barcelona this week. So I'll meet him, we'll have a cocktail and we will report back. Just don't ask him to pay with his phone. Too soon? <laughs> <laughs> Too soon. Let's talk about Ellen Road then, because in the end, Andy, actually, it was a pretty important and pretty impressive win for United because the first half was forgettable and the second half was decent. It was a very good result for Manchester United. I don't think the team played well. And if you can get three points without playing well and do that at a major rival, then that all bodes That's well. That's why I say it's impressive. Yeah, it, it is. I thought it was a horrific game of football for most of it. But Manchester really did. I thought he was so short of quality. But Leeds were going to do that because technically their players are not to the same level as, as Manchester United's. And they actually had a good game plan, which sort of worked for them for 80 minutes. And then Manchester United were much more clinical, got the two goals, two fantastic finishes. Good to see Garnacho because he, he's, he's had a couple of critics. Good to see Fred get named man of the match because he didn't have a good game in the previous match against... Leeds United. So there were some positives. I think it was a, a starting lineup which surprised a few Manchester United fans. The atmosphere was as visceral and as antagonistic as you would expect at Ellen Road. But Manchester United got another win, and it would have been a, a big um, shame had United not got the three points because results went, most results went Manchester United's way this weekend. Let's talk about Alejandro Garnacho if we can, Laurie, because. Well, in fact, we'll hold our hands up as well. I think we were fairly critical of him after his performance in the first match against Leeds. But when you are facing a bit of stick as an 18-year-old kid, what's the way to answer it? That, isn't it? And really good to see. I mean, so I've obviously been away. I've not perhaps been as close to the kind of feedback that people have been giving. So it was a little bit of a surprise that I saw that Garnacho got a bit of heat. And I mean, I guess he did miss... Sort of good chances against Leeds at Old Trafford, but I kind of still felt he was in the right areas at least to kind of get in those moments. And then you saw as soon as the move started to develop at Ellen Road, well, my had one thought in his mind, right? Get the ball in front of Garnacho, and he he absolutely did his defender for for speed. And what I, what I most liked about the finish actually was the fact that I think everybody there would think he's going far post in that situation. You know, he's opening his body out, he's curling it into the far corner, and he seemed to do. Uh, Mesley with his his eyes, I suppose, or, or you know, the the kind of assumption that that's where he would be going as well, uh, and and went near post and, and off the post, he got a little fingertip to it, didn't he? But it was a a shot hit at such speed as well, you know, the the the, the pace that he's running at to actually strike a ball as cleanly as that and as accurately as that, I think is a really difficult skill. And you could see that he was making a point with the celebration to say, listen, I'm I'm here, I'm still a good player, you know, I'm, I'm developing, I'm learning, I'm going to make mistakes along the way, but I can actually deliver in crucial moments like this. Is your cat all right, Laurie? <laughs> I wondered if you could hear him. <laughs> he's right, so he's been he's been a bit mopey because we went away to Sri Lanka and, and, and for two weeks. He's not had us around. He's missed and, you. Yeah, I think he's I think he's in a bit of a funk. So he's not usually himself, and he's just been staying underneath the bed where he's got his own bed um, for you know since we've been back. Uh, and this is the first time he's actually come out of his own accord. He's obviously decided this is the time for me to to finally make my re-entry into normal life. So yeah, a bit of a surprise. <laughs> Hopefully, quite. Can we give a shout out to the cat? What's his name? Well, his name's Ron, um, which you know you okay. might think is after <laughs> a certain player that's no longer playing for Manchester United. Oh yeah, because we got him at the same time as Cristiano Ronaldo signed for for the club. But it was actually he's a ginger cat, so uh, the people that were going to get him uh, ended up not being able to to take him on, and they'd already named him Ron after Ron Weasley. I think uh, was the idea, and <laughs> so uh, yeah, he's he's, uh, he's finally got his voice back. 
Yeah, well, I hope Ron's all right now, so you give him a good pet. Come on, Ron. We've had a bit of a theme of this, Andy, of late, haven't we? Animals and being petted and whatever else. Anyway, let's go back to the football. Marcus Rashford, Dan Sheldon's written about it on The Athletic, the headline, Marcus Rashford has become the master of big moments in the Premier League. I said a few weeks ago I was sort of running out of things to say about him and I'm completely out. I don't know if you've got anything, Andy. It was a fantastic header. I think heading is the the one part which is added to his game, especially this season. To rise like that and to do it in front of the South Stand in front of all of those Leeds United fans who'd been baiting Manchester United fans throughout the whole game was especially satisfying uh, to see. I also like the fact that Fred got man of the match. I saw a lot of people criticising him after the game at Old Trafford. Less so Garnacho. I think people cut Garnacho slack because he's so young. But I find it weird when people make really definitive statements about players like, he's not good enough, get rid. And if the club actually listened to people who said this, and these are like widespread opinions then Manchester United would have hardly any players left because at various stages, David De Gea would have been sold, Harry Maguire would have been sold, Marcus Rashford would have been sold, Luke Shaw, Aaron Wan-Bissaka, Victor Lindelof. You struggled to find a player who wouldn't. And and, I think it's fine and fair comment to praise and criticise a player if they have a good or bad game or even a good or bad run or some players even have good or bad seasons. But I find it weird, these really definitive opinions. He's not good enough, he has to go regardless of whether a player might have a four-year contract or not. And I think social media has has, um, amplified it, but it's always been around. Michael Carrick got so much abuse around 2010. Yeah, he did. So much abuse. I remember, And And would it have been right to sell him in 2010? Absolutely not. Ronaldo went through a stage of getting so much abuse. Ryan Giggs got so much abuse at one point. I just find it weird. You've got to look beyond... The immediate match where someone's had a good or bad match. The Garnacho stuff, especially considering he's so young, and actually he's been great, hasn't he, Laurie? I mean, you know, the the sort of take that he's never gonna make it. Like, what on earth has anyone been watching to like say that that's an opinion? I mean, I... Is, is that is that what someone came out with? Mm. Not not oh, really okay. anyone who's anyone. It, it, it's just fringe opinions. I think people most think that. He is a kid and it can be frustrating to watch him as a young player. But which young player? I remember watching Ronaldo coming through and arguing with my mates. It was it was frustrating to watch him at times. Doesn't doesn't mean to say that he's not going to make it. You might, you might as well say he's already made it. Well, yeah. He's 18 years old in Manchester United's first team. I think I think he's not... You'd always say he's not made it, made it, because I would think that that would mean uh, being a consistent performer in a team at you know the top level, uh, and particularly with someone of his aspirations and Man United aspirations, it would be to actually you know be challenging for titles and, and winning things you know on a regular basis. But I think that all young players are going to have dips and have going to bad moments. Um, I think I suppose there's an added element with Garnacho in that you had Ten Hag vocalised that he wasn't happy with some of the stuff that he was doing in pre-season. So maybe that sort of when there is a, a, a dip that that in, might make people think, okay, well, you know, what's going on behind the scenes? Then is is there a reason why you know he's, he's playing like this? But I think that's just part of youth, right? He's a teenager, um, and you need a bit of that ego that he obviously has got to to make it a, a club like Manchester United. Um, it will be interesting. You know, he's obviously got these contract talks that are going on at the moment. Um, how will that resolve itself? Because um, I think they. There is a an awareness that that needs to get sorted, you know, fairly soon, just so that can all settle down. But I think, yeah, it was a good, really good response from him, and I, I think that's a a massive positive because there's going to be more 
speed bumps in the road uh, and that actually can respond like that is a, is a sign of good things. Definitely. Um, Andy mentioned it before, Laurie, about the starting lineup being surprising. Um, certainly the two centre-halves, the pairing that Eric Ten Hag went with, was surprising. Why do you think he picked Luke Shaw and Harry Maguire for that game? I mean, they played there before, haven't they? Maybe that was part of his thinking. Ellen Road, you know, we spoke, I think you guys spoke about it on the podcast before the game. Oh, you have been listening. I have been Impressive. listening, yeah. So it's, it's coming back to me now, these little flickers. I, it, it was in between, you know, it was, I'm on the beach <laughs> and it's, it's difficult to, you know, sometimes their phone was overheating, but, you know, because it was so hot, you know, 30 degree heat. Um, but, you know, you, you uh, were so, several uh, activated charcoal cocktails <laughs> down, I can imagine. Yeah, I, I want to know what deactivated charcoal is. Like, what, what does the activation element bring to the table? But um, I, I think I think deactivated charcoal is just wood, isn't it? <laughs> You've been you've been drinking wood, mate. Just, just, <laughs> just put it in a matter of fact way. You drink wood. Carry on. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of some witty response about my bark being worse than my bite, but no. Um, anyway, <laughs> what was my point? Yeah, Ellen Road, uh, the atmosphere, and I think maybe he thought, you know, is that a, is that a thing to consider with Harry Maguire and Luke Shaw knowing, you know, what it's like to play there? Um, I, I also think Rafael Varane we've spoke about before you know the, the knee uh, problems that he has uh, means that he, he can't I don't think play three times a week or two times a week so he's got to obviously manage the games in that regard um, and then uh, yeah Martinez was a bit of a surprise I suppose that he, he didn't start him because when he came on as well it, it that elevated what United were able to do in possession at, at the back I think um, but I mean it was interesting that Ten Hag did cut across the suggestion that this was a return for Harry Maguire to the team because he, he made the point, well, actually, he's you know, played against Reading and Bournemouth. And so he was sort of saying he is playing for us. It's not like he's been um, totally absent. Um, but I do feel like he, he needs to, not needs to, but I think he's aware of the fact that he wants to get Maguire into the team where possible. And this was a, an opportunity um, to do so, to kind of keep that freshness there because he can't I don't think he can rely just solely on Martinez and Varane for the whole season I think they can just stay there indefinitely I think he's going to have to keep the other defenders sharp yeah and I wonder whether we'll, we'll preview it properly in a moment but I wonder whether it was a warm-up for Luke Shaw Andy ahead of Barcelona considering he's likely to be playing centre-half with Martinez suspended exactly so he's not played there for a few weeks so play him in a big pressure game one which Manchester United would have been expected to win even though Leeds had a good result at Old Trafford and ahead of a game against a better team at camp now on Thursday. Uh, with Maguire, Eric Ten Hag said pre-match, part rotation, part tactics. And I, I think that is fair enough because, as Laurie said, Varane is not someone who's going to be playing twice a week, every single week. And Eric Ten Hag now especially is, is starting to pick and choose a little bit with some of his players and, and, and when they play. One note to pick up on as well, uh, a negative from yesterday, a major negative, was the chanting once again from Leeds United fans and Manchester United fans at Ellen Road about Munich and Istanbul. Um, the club's released a joint statement after the game, Andy, which was encouraging to see. It's really, really poor that this is continuing, isn't it? To be honest, there's absolutely no need for it. We've, we spoke glowingly about the rivalry and how much... How, how much each team didn't like each other very much, but it just crosses the line, doesn't it, really? Simple as that. Yeah, it does. I just think it's weird. People singing about people dying. What are you getting mm. out of it? Mm. It's just weird. On what level yeah. does that work? 
to come home from the match, I had a great, great game today, singing about people dying. It was fantastic. And there are there are people who enjoy it on both sides, just not for me. I, I spoke for two hours at the start of this season to Stephen, who lost his brother in the Hillsborough disaster. And he just said, you don't realise how hurtful it is for me to hear um, songs about Hillsborough, for example. So my brother didn't harm Manchester United at all. My brother absolutely idolised George Best. You might find that weird. And that's Hillsborough. And now we've got the Leeds one. I think what you've got, you've got a new generation of younger fans. Uh, with Hillsborough, they weren't, they weren't even alive. Some of them were, they were very young. You've got Leeds fans who haven't been around for that Manchester United rivalry because they went down in 2004, came back up 17 years later. They've been told stories by their elders about how fierce the rivalry is. And they're reenacting it out in a, in a way which is like, this must mean more if we're being even more offensive, but I, I don't like them. And I think as you get you get older and you get more mature, you you become even more against people singing them. But there are actually a surprising number of people who think it's fair game on both sides. Yeah, I, I, I think that's the crucial point, isn't it, Andy? Where if you think about what you're actually singing, come on, like you, that's not enjoyment, is it? That's not rivalry. That's not tribalism to kind of agitate other fans it's it's just pretty sad like it doesn't make sense to me I can understand you know if you're a kid and you're kind of being influenced by it yeah you sort of think it's part, being part of the club and you know this is fair game but I think when you actually think about the fact that it's a song songs about people dying it's it's just why would you do it just just no no need is there there's, there's, there's plenty of other things to try and provoke rival fans and you do want you do want that sort of edge to it that's that's we've, we've celebrated haven't we that kind of fierce um, atmosphere that you can get and that kind of tension in the air when it is a, a big match um, but I think there's a, a line and, and that is across it um, and yeah you'd hope that people would kind of just be a bit more sensible with it because it's it's unnecessary Yeah I think we can all agree with that definitely the Premier League have said that they're dealing with the issue as a matter of urgency as well so one to keep an eye on certainly we'll have the latest of course on that on The Athletic. If you're not a subscriber, remember there is that special podcast price of £1.99 a month for a year when you join at theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Okay, let's get into the good stuff then. Manchester United against Barcelona. Wow. It's just a shame that it's a Europa League playoff, isn't it? It seems a bit odd, really, that you've got two teams of their standing facing at this sort of stage of this sort of competition, especially when Barcelona and United are actually having pretty good seasons as well. We know Andy Mitten splits his time between these two places, so it's a privilege to have him on to do this because he knows everything about both of them, more or less. Well, we'll find that out as we talk about it. But Andy... It's just really nicely set up this, isn't it? I can't wait. I'm excited about it. It's a huge game. I spoke to Barcelona's goalkeeper, Ter Stegen, on, on Friday. There's a big buzz among Barcelona supporters. 
the game when tickets went on sale, all the tickets it put on sale went really, really quickly. Barca have had a few returns from season ticket holders who can't go, partly because it's such an early kickoff. But ninety odd thousand in camp now between two of the three biggest clubs in world football. I watch a lot of Barcelona matches. They've got a crack inside this year. Xavi Hernandez said after Sunday's 1-0 win at Villarreal, which is a difficult place to get a result, this is the best I've seen of Barcelona since I took over. They've conceded seven goals in 21 league matches. They're winning so many games 1-0. They will be missing a couple of key players. Sergio Busquets and Dembele will certainly be out for the first leg on Thursday. Um, and obviously Manchester United have got a couple of issues themselves so that probably evens it up a little bit I honestly think it's 50-50 you know I watch both teams an awful lot uh, I think that I'm still sore about Rome and Wembley I've got sort of major family issues because my kids who were born in Spain are like we're Barca well one of them is I'm like no you're not you're United no I'm, I'm, I speak Catalan I'm, I'm, I'm Barca no, no you're not and they're like, no, but why, Dad? You know, you, you're from Manchester and you support Manchester United. I, I, I was born here. I, I'm allowed to be Barca. And so that's not going to be resolved. But really looking forward to the match. They've got in Pedri, one of the best young attacking midfielders in the world. Gavi is a teenager, really tenacious, bull-like player. Ter Stegen, the goalkeeper, well, he's fantastic. And I don't want to depress people too much because I'm going to run for the whole team here. You've got a brilliant left-back, Balde, who's still a teenager. The central defenders, Christensen and Araujo, have really come into form. Jules Kawunde, who was a Manchester United target, he's playing at right-back. And up front, well, there's Robert Lewandowski, and he's not bad either. But I still think Manchester United are going to go through. Laurie, you wanted to jump in there, didn't you? Just on the point when he was talking about, um, you know, uh, an offspring perhaps supporting a different club to him, because uh, it just made me think of uh, Romeo Beckham and that shot of him outside the uh, Emirates when he was supporting Arsenal, and like people are saying, "Come on, David, you know, if, you, if you're letting your son support a different club, what's what's the world come to?" So, but is it it's out of order? Is it easy as that, Andy? Sort it out. You told her. I mean, it's out of order. I mean, I kicked her out three weeks ago when she first told me. So she's um, she's eight years old. So David Beckham just didn't use strong enough tactics to convince nah. Romeo. I'm scratching my head here because I'm horrified it's that pains you, doesn't it? It it, do, it it genuinely does. Right, I've got two two major problems in my life. My, Should see how much he's blinking. My, my sister married like a, a home and away Manchester City fan, mm. and their kids have got season tickets for City and. All their part of the family go home and away with City. Like even if they're playing in Moscow behind closed doors, they're there, and that does concern me. I'll be honest; it, it is a big issue in my life, and I think my sister has let me down. And I've told her that, and she basically says to me, "Grow up, <laughs> right?" Because my sister's United. My wife reckons she's into football. She's not into football at all. She's been at one football stadium in her life, and that was to watch a Lenny Kravitz concert. So she can't have any part of this argument at all. It's between me and my two daughters. Another podcast that Andy's hoping Mrs. Mitten will never hear about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah okay. she won't. Look, I've basically got, with, with the one of them who's having doubts, she's saying to me, I want them both to win. I like both of them. We'll, we'll find out this week, won't we, Andy? Yeah, we will. The, we will. What, what does the heart want, you know? When it, when it comes down to the 90th minute and it's, you know, a corner, is she, is she thinking, come on, United, get the late winner here? 
Or is she thinking, no, Barca, hold on. Corner in the Camp Nou. Well, this is where I was going as well, because I, I was going to reflect a little bit, because I'm really excited by this. I've been to Barcelona you know, a few times on holiday, but this will be the first time I'm back at the Camp now since 99, when I was a little kid. I think I've told this story on the podcast, I bore everyone with it, but we got our tickets robbed, and it was like a, a big old day where we had to kind of sort of get into the stadium by hook or by crook and eventually we had a really lovely steward from Manchester United that actually helped us. So this will be the first time I'm back at the stadium for that. And when Andy mentioned 90,000, you know, sell-out stadium, it just really whetted the appetite. I've not been to a not been to a Barcelona game there since either. Um, I was at, I was in Rome for that one, so I've, I've still harboured those, yeah, sentiments that Andy expressed earlier about a little bit of revenge, but it's not quite the same sort of stage as it, uh, the Europa League playoff round. But I do feel like it's actually a good time for them both to be facing each other. You know, they've both got sort of new managers that are obviously having good early success that are, that are kind of showing signs of uh, perhaps restoring these clubs to the levels that they've been at previously. And they're both in, you know, decent form in the league. So you kind of think, could this be a really interesting battle between, you know, teams that aren't at that level, you know, Champions League finals um, at the moment, but could potentially be one day. And this could be like a nice signpost for those future years to come. Yeah, I think so. And it, it's also interesting how quickly things can change, can't it? Because Barcelona are 11 points clear at the top of La Liga. That is Champions League standard by anyone's recognition. And actually, that's how quickly that the form has changed from, from the start of the season. Manchester United, similar as well. You know, Week after week, they're looking more and more comfortable in the top four. OK, the T word, like we've touched on several times, just seems to evade... Manchester United at the moment. Every time there's a there's a, a little sort of speck of light, it, it's extinguished before Andy's finished his sentence. But these are two Champions League standard sides in their current form, Andy, aren't they? I mean, this is as good as Manchester United have been in recent years and this feels like as good as Barcelona have been in quite a while as well. It's actually one of the main reasons that the um, proponents of the European Super League put forward. Manchester United and Barcelona should not be meeting each other once every 10 years. This should be a fixture that is played every single year and United and Barca actually meet more times in California in pre-season friendlies than they do in competition in Europe. That's about the only argument for the European Super League that I can I can think there's a point there but equally it feels really special when you're drawn together as well. It is weird because it's it, the Europa League, it should be the Champions League. Barca fans were really sniffy about the Europa League last year which led to Eintracht Frankfurt fans taking over their stadium, 30,000 of them. That caused massive ruptions, and it means that it's really difficult for Manchester United fans, who've easily sold the 4,200 tickets out for this game, to get tickets in the home end uh, for this one. I think that they're two of the three biggest clubs in world football, Real Madrid being the other one, and I can't wait for it. And yeah, ideally it would have been better to meet in the final, but... Javi Hernandez, who I find fascinating, I interviewed him many times when he was a player. I went out to Qatar to see him when he was still playing as well. Um, he's getting things right now. And it's been a really tr- difficult time for Barca. They, they lost Messi. They've had the really well-publicised um, financial issues. And people are baffled. How can they keep on buying players when they've got these these debts? They've got a very good sporting director in Jordi Cruyff, who was at Manchester United. I also um, told him about my predicament with my, my daughter and he told me to uh, grow up. And that's where we're at with it. A lot of people are telling you to grow up, Andy. It's like Peter Pan. <laughs> Maybe they're right. I just... Some kids support who, who, who the parents 
uh, support. I'm saying that because that's what I want to happen, but I realise that often doesn't happen in the world. And and let's just change the subject. We're talking about something different. We can talk about Manchester United against Barcelona, which is not really that different, but it's not directly about your daughter's predicament and, and your predicament, I suppose. Um, Laurie, let's reflect on the team that Manchester United are likely to put out. It felt like that selection at Ellen Road was prioritising Barcelona over the Premier League, which was an interesting situation because I wasn't totally sure how Eric Ten Hag would see the Premier League battle, the cup final, of course, that's coming, and these two Barcelona ties. Um, Casemiro's back, obviously, but there's no Lissandro Martinez because he's suspended, and UEFA have also confirmed that Marcel Sabitzer can't play now because he also picked up uh, three bookings in the group stages of the Champions League for Bayern Munich, and they've decided that that will apply uh, to the Europa League for Manchester United. There was some uncertainty over that. But with Casemiro back, it doesn't matter too much, does it? It's, it's Fred and Casemiro, isn't it? You'd think so, right? I mean, and, and this is the kind of stage that he is well accustomed to. So um, you'd think that he'd be a huge benefit to come back and see him. He's had a nice rest, I suppose, as well. Um, so um, you'd hope that that would at least mean that he's, you know, I don't know, Fully, fully fit. If there's any kind of niggles that he was he was carrying, maybe maybe this has given him a little bit of time to recuperate. I suppose as well in attack. I mean, we're still sort of wondering, right? Aren't we on Anthony Marshall, Anthony, Scott McTominay? You know, yeah. they're they're kind of you know alternatives, I suppose. But it kind of feels like the the team picks itself almost. If they're all out, um, does he just go back? To, I mean, I suppose Sancho or Garnacho, but you'd think they'd probably. Does he does he start Sancho or does he put Rashford up top and 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 Valvegos? I mean, I, I mean for that fact that he has come in, and I think I have to reflect on the fact that Carl, I think he said it on the podcast or he, he said it to me off air one time that he thought that he would end up playing more games than Anthony Martial um, for, for United the second half of this season. He's, he's going to be right, isn't he? Because Anthony Martial just keeps getting injured, um, and the the way that he played, I feel like he could. United aren't as potent a team with him in attack. You know, he hasn't scored. I know he, the, the offside goal. You know, did it come back off a Leeds player or not? I don't know. I'm, I'm still not sure about that one. But anyway, he's, he's got one goal, hasn't he, so far for United? But at least he does have a, a kind of link-up play that works and, 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 and does fit in with the the structure that Ten Hag's trying to create. So, I mean, I guess yeah, he's, he's going from uh, playing for Besiktas and, and thinking that that was his second half of the season sorted to, to starting in the new camp. You'd think and. Um, that's why he was so desperate, right, to to end his loan at Besiktas, to come to Manchester United, to, to play in games like this. And, and maybe that element of um, reaching this kind of stage, you know, inspires a, a particularly good performance from him. Um, but at least I, th- I think clearly, you know, as long as you've got Marcus Rashford in the kind of form that he's in, United will always be a threat. But I don't know, I don't know how much uh, Tanag can really rotate his team. No, and it's difficult to know with Tenag at the moment as well how serious some of these injuries are because the mm. detail that he's giving on these issues is getting sort of less and less as the weeks go by. Um, Carl wrote about Anthony Martial's situation as well, which was on The Athletic um, last week, I think, maybe even the week before, actually. Just the predicament that he's in with his fitness. United still look a better team with Martial in it. Eric Ten Hag himself has said that. Uh, I thought it was interesting as well that in the press conference to preview the first game against Leeds. He said that Martial was the player in the Manchester United squad who'd spent the most time at the training ground this season working on his fitness and working on his game to try and be effective for United. And I guess, Andy, as well, with Martial, it's not like there's a ticking 
clock necessarily, but it does feel like he's sort of running out of opportunities now and time to prove that he is a properly important part of this team moving forward. At the minute, it's his fitness rather than his performances or attitude or anything like that. It's Groundhog Day. He doesn't want to be injured. He doesn't want not to be playing, but he is playing far too few games for Manchester United. And that's a major reason why Veghorst was signed. I actually like the way Manchester United play when we saw it best pre-season probably. Marcus Rashford, Anthony Martial, Jadon Sancho. It's fluid, isn't it? It's good. It's good to see. And he's a totally different type of player. Bruno Fernandes gets more involved with those rotations as well, doesn't he, it seems? Totally different type of player to Vegos. But if you've not got a player that you can pick, at what point do you have to say, it's just not working out? And... But we could have said this one year ago when he went on loan, two years ago when he was out of form, three years ago when he was out of form. Exactly, yeah. And, it, and exactly. it's so frustrating as a negative. As a positive, I'm loving the, what I think is a team spirit. And we see this in the celebrations. When Manchester United score goals, the way that they jump, go towards the away end, I think it's fantastic to see. And I think that's a real genuine feeling. And you also do see it at Barcelona. So it's a good time for him to play each other. It's the best of times, it's the worst of times. Because they are both both doing really, really well. Got a dog going on in the background. <laughs> I feel like I need to contribute. I'm going to find a mouse from somewhere just to squeak. My dog's a United dog. Make no mistake about that. <laughs> and, and I should also mention one other Barcelona player because he's not been mentioned on this podcast. He's a Dutch guy called Frankie de Jong. And he <laughs> plays in the middle of, of what is now a midfield four because... Barca for decades were famously a midfield three, but Xavi's tweaked it in the last couple of months to a midfield four. And unfortunately, it's been very, very effective. And De Jong, he is a fantastic footballer. And I hope that he doesn't have a great game. Or I don't mind him having a good game, just as he's on the losing side on Thursday. And then back at Old Trafford, top player. I'm fascinated. It's fast-forwarding to the second leg a little bit, but I'm fascinated to see what the reaction towards De Jong will be amongst Manchester United fans, because... It's not like it's a transfer that's maybe completely and utterly gone away. It doesn't seem very likely, does it, um, that it will happen now, considering the way that Casemiro's played since he arrived and, and of course, there's there's issues elsewhere now. But he did technically just turn down and move to Manchester United, didn't he? Normally, that would not be met very well at Old Trafford, Andy, would it? His point of view is, I signed a contract which I intend to honour at a football club. Yeah, but I, I'm not sure that that, no, that disclaimer is going to sort of resonate with um, fans a week on Thursday at Old Trafford. But he can't be too harsh on him in case he comes, because then they'll look Exactly, stupid. that's what I mean, yeah. yeah exactly. he, he loves living in Barcelona, as does his partner. Uh, he's a very good player. Barcelona needed the money, but more than one of his teammates basically physically got him and said you're going nowhere do not leave this club it really it came to that and he passes the ball so well that you can see why Eric Ten Hag wanted him so will he be joining Manchester United for next season I don't know the answer to that I don't think anybody knows the answer to that but I thought he would be peripheral and squeezed out at the start of this season and he's actually become one of the most important players in a very good spine, which uh, Barcelona have got, and which Manchester United are getting as well. I'm jealous of you two going to that game, I have to say. I think it's going to be absolutely brilliant. And I'm jealous of you, Laurie, as well, with your tour guide. Andy Mitten's writing up a, a guide to Barcelona for Manchester United fans going across there. I'm just jealous of the, the afternoon that you're likely to have as well, I think. 
It'll be a professional afternoon of research and preparation. Research on what and preparation for <laughs> what? Well, we, we can't just bowl up to the game drunk, can we? We've got to be professional. We can't just roll in having had like a few beers or whatever lorry drinks. You know, we've got to, we've got to produce words late into the night, even though it's a... Okay, I'm jealous of the evening that you two will have after the game then. Is that better? It, it is a privilege, isn't it? I mean, we, we have... It's a ridiculous job, really, when you think about it. And like the fact that we actually get to go to these places and have a front row seat in, hopefully, you know, a, a, a historic moment. It's probably a bit too much to say, but, you know, just a, an occasion that I think a lot of people, as you say, would, would like to be at. Yeah, it's a, it's a massive privilege and we, we obviously take it seriously when we when we get there. And But it will be nice, yeah, being in a little bit of sunshine. Andy can point out the, the nicer parts of Barcelona that I might not have seen yet. I was fascinated, Andy, when we were first talking about this in the WhatsApp group, this this idea of a city guide for Barcelona, that you you sort of hark back to yesteryear and, and the fact that you knew all the, all the bar staff and the door people all around this great city and you had the keys to the place by the sound of it, but those days are gone. They're long gone, mate. If <laughs> The guide would have been very different 15 years ago. What would have been on it 15 years ago then? Probably the same places that I'm just checking are still open now, but I did have to, I, I did have to <laughs> ring a guy last week who's a nightclub promoter just bring me up to speed, mate, because if I've not seen you since uh, 2007, and he was a lad, a lad who played for me. Is this the same guy that you you tapped up when I, I had a stag dude to Barcelona? Not not mine, but yeah, uh, yeah. last year, and I got in, yeah. got onto Andy then. So I've already had a little sample of the Andy Mitten tour guide. At Three a.m. used to be an early night for me. At one point. I knew which bars opened at, at 5 a.m. Life changes. It changes for everybody. And uh, you know, I met my wife and then we had children and I couldn't be going out to bars which opened at 5 a.m. Barcelona is one of the best cities in the world. I think the Travelling United fans should uh, enjoy it. Bring a coat because it's February, still midwinter, and while it's bright and sunny in the day, it gets very cold at night. You'll probably be held behind, well, you will be held behind in camp now afterwards. The tickets are really high up. They're only €45, Euros, which is a lot better than the 119, which we paid him. Last time. Which yeah. I thought was offensively high. And fair play to UEFA, because they don't get a lot of praise, but they did act on ticket prices for travelling fans within Europe. I think Manchester United, just get away from the Ramblers bit where all the rest of the tourists go. Just have a, have a look around. Read my guide. You'll have a great time. Yeah, look out for that. It's going to drop ahead of that match, of course. And the next Talk of the Devils will be recorded straight after Manchester United against Barcelona. Andy and Laurie will be there and Carl will be presenting that one. So keep your eyes peeled for that once Manchester United have got a great result to take back to Old Trafford in that first leg. Right, takeover talk. Laurie Whitwell's back from honeymoon and he's back on the trail of Manchester United up for sale. There's a piece that's already on The Athletic, which I'm sure people have seen in the last few days, detailing the exact position and, of course, the interest that's been reported from Qatar now as well. It's a very, very open question, this, Laurie, but I think it's the best place to start considering all the stuff that's swirling at the moment. What's the latest on this? I suppose the latest is that Friday, so the day after the Barcelona game, uh, is the deadline initially for bid proposals. Um, so this is obviously something, it's not set in stone like the Chelsea bid was because uh, that was a government 
um, sort of forced issue. They had to have a, a time frame for that. This is something that the Glazers and Rain, the merchant bank that are handling the sale, can sort of decide um, depending on what proposals come to them. But Friday is the first day, you know, in, in the proposals that have been sent out, that's when they're asking for people to come back to them. Um, so Jim Ratcliffe still is the only person, um, group that has publicly declared interest in taking over Manchester United. Um, so we'll see. Um, I guess he will have to put a bid in, but it's not like it's not like they have to uh, hand over a whole portfolio of information in terms of their bid proposal. They can literally just put two paragraphs: "This is our bid. This is why," uh, you know, and, and, and submit it to Rain. It's so it's it's kind of perhaps a bit more. Uh, fluid than um, a definitive um, cut-off point. Um, and then, yeah, Qatar is is certainly... Uh, individuals in Qatar, uh, the Qatar as a, as a nation-state, are interested in clubs. Um, they've obviously got a controlling uh, interest in Paris Saint-Germain. Um, the information that we have is that they are, you know, they, they are looking at Manchester United as, as an option. Um, and, you know, QSI, who are the... Uh, branch of, of the Qatar um, nation that uh, own uh, Paris Saint-Germain um, are still committed to uh, PSG even though they're, they're sort of looking at perhaps having a, a minority investment elsewhere so I, I think that it might have to be something different to that if they do end up submitting a proposal um, you know the, the Sovereign Wealth Fund the QIA um, who have um, an enormous amount of money um, at stake um, so they, they could sort of put together something um, but I don't know it's very unclear at the moment as to exactly who these individuals are and, and what kind of capacity they might have to act independently of Qatar as a, as a, as a state. The Emir is um, it's confirmed as wanting um, Qatar to invest in the Premier League and this would seem like the best option you'd think because it's Manchester United, it's a huge um, you know global brand the association with Manchester United would, would you'd think, help Qatar in, in its quest to continue to be a, a, a player on the the global uh, stage, which is what happened with the World Cup. But that being said, I, I don't know, I, I get the idea that they, they wouldn't want to overpay whilst they have, might have a lot of money. Um, I don't think they want to be seen to be, you know, kind of... Um, Taken advantage of uh, by the Glazers if they if they say we want you know a, a price way above what market cap is, so we'll see. It's uh, it's really interesting. I, mean, I, I don't know. There's this sort of claim and counter claim. There's, there's people that are saying there isn't actually that much interest um, at the price that the Glazers are are putting on the club. Um, there's others that perhaps think actually this is all a, a kind of a bit of a cloak and dagger game where actually when push comes to shove, yeah countries or, or, or companies will put their money down and say no yeah this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to buy a club uh, of the scale and, and the prestige of Manchester United so uh, we'll see yeah Friday's the deadline so I think that's what the the latest is building towards. There's actually quite a lot of people who work in high level finance who are Manchester United fans you wouldn't expect it any different given how big Manchester United are and I communicate with with quite a lot of them, and I ask them for their guidance because I'm not a financial expert. I ask them what they're hearing, what is going on, and I'm still getting conflicting information. One person said to me on Friday when I said, "What what is about this Qatar stuff?" and he he said, "I'm not sure. It could just be more weird attempts by Rain to squeeze more money from from Jim Ratcliffe's because um, he's been, as Laurie says, the only person who's publicly um, said that he's bidding so far." The Glazers will be sat back from this and, well, they're travelling around the world at the moment, but they want the highest uh, fee that they can get for Manchester United. They want to 
be feeling like they hold as many cards close to their chest as possible. They can then weigh up the different options of how much equity to give away, whether it's a full sale. So there's lots of brinkmanship going on at the moment. Um, with Qatar, I, I did hear about three weeks ago that there was tension between PSG and the local authority there and the Qatari group. I think it's fair to say the Premier League's far more attractive than Ligue 1 is, but there could also be lots of um, potential conflicts. I see divides forming already within Manchester United's fan base, where for some people it's just about who's got the most money. Um, and I, I, I see allegations and counter-allegations being slung back and forward. So people have come out and said that they like Jim Ratcliffe's offers, like, no, you're being a small-minded British person. And then other people who are worried about the, the social and ethical issues, uh, allegations of sport washing. But until the people come forward, we don't know um, uh, who they, they are going to be. Well, it's how it's funded as well, isn't it? Yeah, it I is. guess that's another issue for United fans because it's not... Obviously, there's the clear reasons why people would have opposition to a Qatari takeover or investment of, of some description. And, and there's other issues that the other groups would bring. But I guess the funding issue, because of the, the, the problems that we've had with the Glazers over time, Andy, is also a major stumbling block for anyone coming in because, you know, a lot of these deals at this sort of level aren't structured too dissimilarly in a way and, and obviously that will ring alarm bells with people I'm sceptical about anybody who, who comes in I'm, I'm a little bit saddened actually that it's come to this and that some fans are clamouring and I think Manchester United we, we, and this will not happen but is big enough to stand on its own two feet just like Barcelona does it's owned by its members I realise that now has become a very unfashionable ownership model because how can anybody compete against a sovereign wealth fund? You can't. And this brings us all back into what's happening with Manchester City, which is what Javier Tebas, the, the league of La, leader of La Liga, he objects strongly to what's happening at Manchester City and at, at Paris Saint-Germain. And he's absolutely got his point there. Do Manchester United join that club? For some fans, I don't think they'd have a problem with that. For others, they're thinking, no, we're, we should be a little bit different from that. Manchester United generate enough revenue and, in theory, profits not to need that. But once the club became a PLC in 1991, then it was on the open market. The Glazers did nothing uh, wrong illegally, but it's going to look like one hell of an investment for them from what they paid for it or what they raised money to buy it with when they leveraged um, money against the club to what they look like they will potentially um, sell it for. But I'm not championing anybody um, because I'm pretty uneasy about all of them. I don't think you get to that level of wealth accumulation without having some major skeletons in your closet. And I'd like to know whoever takes over, what are their intentions for Manchester United? Is it to asset strip? Is it to be a cash cow again? Yes, the bar was set pretty low by, by the Glazers, but actually there's a lot of really good people working at the club at the moment. The club's functioning in a better manner, in my opinion, than it has done for a, a long while. And that's been reflected in some of the results as well. So, you know, you need to keep people like Eric Ten Hag on side because if someone comes in with an ultra-aggressive, highly leveraged bid uh, and takeover, Glazers Mark too, that could be even worse than what we've got now. Yeah, the other factor as well, Laurie, is that the players and Eric Ten Hag are, are having to operate independently of this as well. And the uncertainty is not a great backdrop for, for those people to be working within or against. Yeah, well, you look at the January transfer window and it was loans because, well, they'd overspent it in the summer to, to a large degree 
and they also were uncertain about exactly what the landscape would look like in the summer so it had to be temporary uh, signings so that's not ideal is it um so you'd hope that there's clarity for the summer anyway um i mean it, it's, it's difficult to say though isn't it you, you, this, this friday is the first deadline but how long does it keep going on for before you get a, a definitive conclusion either way and even what it actually shapes down to as, as andy's touched on there it's not necessarily going to be a full takeover I, it, that's obviously what they've they've uh, alluded to in, in the statement and that's what everyone wants and, and, and expects maybe and, and you'd think that anybody that has that kind of money to put into a club would want to have ownership and control of what then goes on at the club but maybe I mean some people say to me yeah I can see it being a minority investment from Qatar even because it's perhaps a foot in the door for them to have that kind of association to begin with and then it, it develops from there but I mean that might be perhaps the worst of both worlds for, for fans because they, they want rid of the Glazers and then you've also at the same time got perhaps this conflict with being owned in part by uh, you know a sovereign wealth fund which I, I don't know I'm like Andy I, it kind of saddens me that football has got to this stage I mean I guess the the genie's out of the bottle really and um, it, it's, be, it's been a commercialised industry for a long long time but you kind of would hope that because they're more community sort of based um schemes you know the, the community assets sorry you know that the, they there should be an element of the locality having a say in, in what goes on um because it's it's what it's more than just having a a product that you buy you, you're more than a customer you, you sort of feel it it's emotions it's it's memories it's relationships with friends and family so um i would hope that there is that element to any kind of takeover um but yeah i wouldn't necessarily hold my breath because as andy's touched on the glazers will want the highest price for the asset they, they got into this for the financial um you know aspect to it all and um and yeah but it, it will be really fascinating to see who actually does come up with the the money and the proposal and what it shakes down and i think we need to be able to scrutinize it to kind of really ask the questions um and i know the fans groups are kind of pushing for that as well yeah, the fans groups will have a role to play, definitely. The Manchester United fans at, at matches will have a role to play as well and, and away from matches too. People will have the opportunity to put their opinion across as to how exactly this goes, who exactly is interested uh, and any potential sale or, or investment will be subject to that as well. And it'll be interesting to see what reaction that has. But we've definitely not heard the last on this. There's no question about that. And it won't be the last time that we talk about it on the podcast either. We'll have more details for you next week after Friday's deadline. I just need to point you in the direction of a couple of articles that we've not talked about as well. Dan Sheldon has done a squad review on Manchester United. The midfield and attack is up at the moment as well. And there's a piece by Flo Lloyd-Hughes as well after Manchester United scraped to a win at Spurs in the end in the WSL to go back top. A bit of a review of where they are at the moment in that title race. Don't forget, if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, you can sign up now for the special podcast price of £1.99 a month for a year. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. We'll speak to you again after Barcelona. Laurie, enjoy your trip across. Andy, enjoy your soiree across the city. Let's hope for a positive result to be speaking about. Thanks, Laurie. Thanks, Andy. And thank you for listening at home. See you on the next one. Bye-bye.
The Athletic.